This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Now, we're going to come and hear God's Word. We're now turning to hear God's Word. And from for the month of November, we're going to be looking at a very special book in the Bible, the book of Ruth. Uh, it's a special book, as we'll see as Tim uh, comes and explains it to us. It's uh, one of the most, uh, I was about to say charming, but that undersells the book of Ruth. It's one of the most striking narratives uh, and absorbing stories of the whole Bible. So let's pray as we, uh, as we turn to God's Word. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not a God who is silent, you are a God who speaks, and that you speak uh, so vividly in the pages of your Word. We pray for open hearts and minds as it is read and explained to us now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite Viva to read our first reading for us. Good morning. Today's first reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 15, reading from verses 11 to 32. I think you're all familiar with this passage. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the youngest son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? And here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son, to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, Bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his eldest son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. 
Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came up and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading this morning comes from the book of Ruth. So it's the book of Ruth, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites, Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they'd lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she'd heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law. And they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you might find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you will die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. 
When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, for the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths, and strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, when life is bitter, where do you turn? For many of us, life uh, it can be pretty good most of the time, though others of us know deep pain. And I think all of us know something of the experience of grief and hardship. And when life is bitter like this, We all turn to something to ease the pain. So where do you turn? In the book of Ruth, we meet three women for whom life has become exceedingly bitter. And their story tells us a lot about our own experiences of bitterness, how to respond and how God works quietly in the lives of ordinary people, even through intense suffering. Ruth is a book especially about these two women, Ruth and Naomi. It disrupts the usually male-dominated story of the Bible. It gives us insights into the particular experiences, faith and emotional life of these particular women in ancient Israel. And so I'm sure that this is a word from God with which women might especially resonate but since Ruth is a word of God to all of us, it's a, word, it's a word for all of us, men and women, to identify with this story from Ruth, from the lives of Ruth and Naomi and hear God's word to us today and over the next four weeks. And as the book of Ruth begins, life for God's people Israel has become exceedingly bitter These were the days when the judges ruled. It's a small phrase that's mentioned there at the start of verse 1, but these are dark days in Israel's history. The judges, they were leaders over Israel. They were supposed to be there to lead the people, to deliver them from, from trouble and from strife, to bring God's people away from their enemies. But the judges and all of Israel grew increasingly wicked. There's Samson, the hyper-violent, perpetually adolescent womanizer. There's Jephthah, who murdered his own daughter after a reckless vow. And there's the anonymous Levite, who took a woman for himself from Bethlehem, cast her to an angry mob to save his own skin, who then gang-raped her to death. These are dark, dark days indeed. God's chosen nation, his once beloved son, now degraded and languishing, while God seems to be away on business. 
And so the darkness continues in Ruth. In these days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And in verse 2, we meet this family from Bethlehem. Elimelech and his wife Naomi. You know, this sounds promising. We, we know Bethlehem, King David's going to come from Bethlehem. And uh, Elimelech, that sounds good. It means my God is king. And Naomi means pleasant. So maybe this is a good beginning. But their son's names aren't quite so auspicious. Marlon sounds like sickness. And Killian, destruction. And so this famine is so terrible that they have to leave God's land. It appears that God isn't there anyway. And they head off to Moab. Now Moab should set off alarm bells for us as well because Moab is the place, the homeland of of Israel's mortal enemies, the Moabites. These are desperate times and desperate measures. And so now they're refugees in this foreign land with strange customs, strange language, and hostile people far from their God. And then Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi alone with her two sons. They marry two Moabite women, but after 10 years, no children. Infertility is heartbreaking enough, but now, uh, sorry, it's heartbreaking enough now, but then children, and especially sons, were lifeblood in this patriarchal tribal culture. Then Marlon and Killian live up to their names and they die too. And so Naomi is left without her boys, alone with her two Moabite daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. This is utterly devastating. Aside from the terrible loss and grief, the situation is utterly hopeless. Widows then were in a hopeless situation. They had no money, no financial independence, no voice, no power. They were targets for abuse, assault, exploitation. And they have no future. Without children, no one would care for them as they grew older and eventually their family line would die out. But worst of all, they are far from God in a foreign land, and God seems to have abandoned Israel anyway. For these three women, life is exceedingly bitter. Where could they possibly turn? Now, this is an extreme story. Ruth is a bit like a female version of Job. She loses everything. It's as bad as it gets. But it's also a glimpse of reality. And there may be people here for whom your life has at some point been turned upside down a lot like this. But even for all of us, who of us has not been touched by elements of bitterness like this? Personally or those near to us? Bereavement that just hollows you out. Infertility that slowly and sadly eats you away. Distance from your secure place and home and warm relationships. Disappointment. You thought life would look different to this, but it's gone somewhere you would never have expected. 
weakness and vulnerability to forces more powerful than you. And to make these things worse, God appears to be completely absent. So the question is, where do you turn? Where do Ruth and Naomi and Orpah turn? Because they can't stay here. Something has to change. And something does change. And it's there in verses 6 to 7. Naomi turns with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab to go back to the land of Judah. But before long, it's not clear anymore who should be turning where. Naomi turns to the land because she hears that the Lord has, has lifted the famine. And yet, in verse 13, she senses that the hand of the Lord has turned against her. So where should she go? And should Orpah and Ruth go there as well? Should they go to God's land? They're foreigners. They're Moabites. Being a woman and a widow is hard enough, but being a Moabite in Israel, they'll have no hope. Go back to your mother, Ruth says. Find a new husband. He'll take care of you. I've got nothing. It's devastating. They love Naomi. So they kiss and they weep they, and they insist that they stay. Your tragedy can have just this kind of effect, a fog that makes it very difficult to see a clear way forward. You might know that something needs to change, but it's not at all clear what or where to turn. This is really important for us as a community of God's people as we seek to be with each other and help each other when we face bitterness like this. The Bible doesn't give us easy, specific answers for each of our lives. And the cloud of grief and the complexity of our situations makes it impossible to know exactly where to turn and what to do next. And so we need to be patient with each other and sit with that cloudiness and that fog and listen and weep with each other. But in the end, these women, they do turn in their own directions. Naomi continues on to the land of Moab, to the Lord, sorry, continues on from the, from the land of Moab to the land of the Lord and his promise. But we'll come back to Naomi. But, so, but let's first look at Orpah and Ruth, where they turn. First, Orpah. Now, her name literally means nape or back of the neck. And that's the last part of Orpah that Naomi sees as she turns away. In verse 14, she kisses her mother-in-law. She says goodbye and leaves for Moab. And it really it makes sense that she does this. On a deep level, it makes a whole lot of sense because for an infertile Gentile girl, her prospects for marriage in Bethlehem were zero. And yet she turns away from the Lord. And that's the last that we hear from her. When we face bitter situations, there are all sorts of places that we can turn. All sorts of good places that can be a real gift and blessing from the Lord. But as good as they might be, none matter as much as turning to the Lord Where do you find comfort when life is hard? 
Some things are obviously destructive. Drugs and alcohol and illicit sex. Other things are less destructive and more understandable. Like chips and ice cream in front of Netflix or throwing yourself deeply into your work. But other things really do make a lot of sense and are true blessings from God. Comfort from friends and family. Exercise, psychological, psychiatric help. And so my point isn't to condemn these things because, again, of course, many of them are necessary parts of getting through bitterness and grief. But as essential as these things might be, none of them matter as much as turning to the Lord. Whatever rest that Orpah found in Moab, she went back to her mother's family. She found comfort with them. But whatever rest she might have found, whatever she might have found, it is nothing compared to what Ruth and Naomi will find in the land of the Lord, as we will see. And so that brings us to Ruth. In in verse 14, Ruth clings to Naomi. This is odd language. Cling. But look at how she expresses it in verse 16. Do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. Ruth clings. This is a, she is firmly loyal and deeply affectionate. It's, it's the same language of Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, clinging to each other, or of worshippers clinging to their God. And there's something special going on here. Early on, back in verse 8, Naomi wished that the Lord would deal kindly with Ruth and with Orpah as they had dealt kindly with her. Now, this idea of dealing kindly translates the Hebrew word chesed, which means a little more than just the regular kindness that we tend to think of in everyday life. This is a steadfast and loyal love, a love that God showed, that God showed to his people and that he wants his people to show to each other. And now Ruth shows that loyal love and kindness to Naomi. Ruth's name means refreshment. And that's what she becomes to Naomi, a comfort. So through Naomi's kindness, sorry, through Ruth's kindness, Naomi experiences the kindness and loyal love from the Lord. But Ruth doesn't just turn to Naomi, she also turns to the Lord. Did you catch what she said there in verse 16? When she said, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. This is where the Lord wants us to turn, even in the bitterness of life, towards others in loyal love and towards the Lord in faith. I've really wrestled with this passage, with with this sermon this week, because I can see how extraordinarily difficult it can be to just try and buck up and just, you know, turn to others and turn the Lord when you're going through really hard times. And so we're going to return to Naomi in a minute, who shows us about turning to the Lord in lament. 
And so I don't want to be dismissive at all here. But now let's feel the chatless challenge from Ruth. Her faith in depths of despair. In whatever it is that you are facing or that you will face, this is the most important place to turn to the Lord in faith. Now, Ruth doesn't make a wild profession of faith, uh, singing praises from the hills. She just simply entrusts herself to the Lord through Naomi. You might have seen the image on the front of your service sheet. I wish it was a little bigger. Because if you look closely at Ruth's face as she clings, there's a lot of incredible detail in this. In this. If you Google when you get home, not now, uh, William Blake, Ruth and Orpah, you can have a good close look at this image and uh, have a reflect on it in line with Ruth chapter 1. But you can see closely Ruth's face. Even as she clings to Naomi and turns to the Lord, she is still in despair. And look at her posture. She still aches and hurts, but she simply entrusts herself to the Lord. She depends on him for what she needs for life. And that takes real courage. I'm reminded of a friend of ours who lost her husband a few years ago after about 10 years of a long, hard battle with cancer. They had... uh, couple of kids in primary school, a couple of kids in high school. And she was an absolute pillar of faith as they went through that struggle together. She didn't know the future. Like Ruth, she guessed it would be terrible. Yet she entrusted herself and her family to the Lord. But Ruth's challenge to us isn't just to have faith in the Lord, it's also to turn in love and kindness to others in their own despair. Too often our relationships can be transactional. We stick with them as long as they have some kind of return for us, only relevant while they're useful or uplifting. I'm not sure we'd quite put it that way explicitly, but that's how sometimes it can end up being. But Ruth, even in her own mourning, clings to this old widow who had, in that culture, had no status, nothing to draw you to her, and who was deeply, deeply depressed with grief and so could give nothing back. I'm reminded of... of, a woman I know who has a habit of befriending other women who are struggling and builds them up, who I've seen befriend uh, immigrant women struggling to navigate a strange country, a deaf woman struggling to fit into the life of a church, a woman crippled with the loss of a child, another woman crippled with the betrayal of an adulterous husband, And it's so beautiful to see. Imagine if we all did that. If we all turned towards each other in loyal, kind love like this. Bearing each other's sorrows as Christ has borne ours and continues to do. So that's Naomi. She turns to the Lord and she turns to 
to, sorry, that's Ruth, turns to the Lord, turns to Naomi in loyal love. And finally, there's Naomi. Naomi turns to the Lord in lament. In verse 20, call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with, with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi is deeply traumatised. She's angry. She sees only disaster before her. And so she changes her name from Naomi, pleasant, to Mara, bitter. She sees only disaster before her and like many other trauma sufferers, she blames God. And so she laments. And if she could lament, then so can we. So can you. Lament is about being honest, about pain and confusion. It's naming the hurt. It's expressing that feeling of injustice. I spoke earlier about a friend who lost her husband and who was a real pillar of faith. In the time after her husband passed away, things were different. All she wanted to do, all she could do, was cry out to God in pain and grief and loss. That's it. That's all she could manage. And maybe you feel pain like this now. If not now, then the time will come when you experience sorrow this deep or when someone around you will be depressed in an overwhelming way. And so while we're called to have courageous faith like Ruth, we are also called and allowed to lament like Naomi. So when life is bitter, where do you turn? Naomi and Ruth have done something extraordinary. They've turned to the Lord. And in verse 22, it sums up for us. Naomi returns together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, to, uh, from Moab to Bethlehem. Ruth's faith is really challenging. But actually, it's only a small part of this story. And yet, it's the key to this chapter. Because the reality is that even though God has seemed absent, he's been working in the background, if you pay attention to the details, quietly working behind the scenes. And there's a final glimpse of that in the, in the last sentence, the very last sentence, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, the barley harvest was a, was a sign, an image of fullness and nourishment and fulfilment that would come. Of the way that Naomi and Ruth's emptiness would be filled by the end of the book of Ruth. And it signifies that God is able to fill emptiness, that he's able to fill up the emptiness of Israel in the time of Judges, and he's able to fill up the emptiness of you and me and of the whole world. Naomi and Ruth headed to Bethlehem to find rest. And so that's where we, that's where you and I need to, need to head, need to turn to find rest, to Bethlehem, the city where God became a man to bear our sorrows and bring fullness and life to the world. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, 
Follow Naomi and Ruth to Bethlehem and to the Lord. He loves you and he made you. And he is the only one who can fill your emptiness and meet your deepest need. If you have to, turn to him empty. Turn to him with only small expectations. Even turn to him bitterly if you must. But turn. Let me pray. Our Lord and loving Father, you know our hearts and the emptiness that we hold within. And so, Lord, give us the strength to turn to you as Ruth and Naomi did. Take our burdens by your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and fill us with your Spirit so that we might bear the burdens of others. Fill our emptiness, sweeten our bitterness. Through Jesus Christ, who is himself the fullness of God and the light and life for the whole world. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.